When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and joining me on today's episode, he is the man behind one of my favorite Twitter accounts, at Raise Metrics, and one of the newest writers at DRaiseBay.com, Cole Mitchum. Cole, what's up, man? How's it going, Brett? I'm happy to be here. First, I, I've got to ask you, because your Twitter account, we, we kind of hypothesized who was behind that account for a long time, whether it was someone's burner uh, but finally, you know, you, you joined D-Race Bay, you unmasked yourself. But I've got to ask you, like, what, what kind of went behind the decision to start that account? You're just interested in, in posting race content? Yeah, so um, so I grew up in the Central Florida area. The Rays have kind of just been always the team that's closest to me. So growing up as a kid, you know, not too far of a drive down south a little bit. And Rays were just always my team. And just, I played baseball my whole life and just interested in the sport and the Rays. And, you know, as I was growing up is when kind of they started, you know, they made their World Series run. They had a couple big stars coming in and, you know, it all kind of just took off. And now that I've gotten older, I've, I've just kind of maybe had a little bit of a more analytically inclined um, view on the sport and, and baseball. And I'm still just a Rays fan. So I just said, like, hey, why not, like, make a Twitter account, post some thoughts and some stats and see where it goes. And um, it's, you know, it's blown up a little bit. So I'm thankful for all the followers in the sport and I'm, I'm most excited to join D-Rays Bay. Yeah. You know, well, I, I will say there's so many great minds at D-Rays Bay, uh, but both Cole and Ian Malinowski being two of, the, two of the, the sharpest minds. Of course, they're both Florida State graduates. It's no surprise there. That's right. <laughs> and, and the, the host of this podcast can join us. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> And Danny Russell, we, we, we've got our Knowles over at D-Rays Bay. Uh, Cole, I, wanna, I wanted to ask you, we're, we're in the middle of a lockout, so there's not a ton of news, but we did just have the minor league portion of the Rule 5 draft. Not sure if there will be a major league portion. I'm sure there will be at some point once the lockout is lifted. Uh, but the Rays lost three prospects, so I'm pretty sure the rules of this this draft work. You're allowed to protect like another like 38 guys that aren't on the 40-man Um in the minor league portion. And these players don't need to be on any sort of roster. I think they're automatically assigned to AAA and then can be reassigned anywhere on their new teams. Once the season begins, there's a small fee that's transferred between organizations, but the Rays ultimately, ultimately lose three prospects, uh, left-handed pitcher, Kenny Rosenberg taken by the angels outfielder. Michael Gigliotti goes to the giants and right-handed pitcher. Alex Valverde goes to the Mets. Again, this is the minor league portion of the Rule 5 draft, but we know, including a player that's currently a big part of the Rays' bullpen right now, there can be some gems in this. Yeah, definitely. I, I sent out a tweet yesterday that said um, about, I think for the last three years, the Rays had taken uh, a handful of relievers, and I kind of think that it was a way for them to to kind of dig deep into some underlying metrics and some guys with interesting stuff going on that haven't really popped yet in the minors and have kind of used it to identify some targets like that. But, but what was interesting this year is they actually maxed out the, uh, the 35, the 38 
man roster space that you were speaking to, um, which kind of tells me that they, they didn't really see a whole lot out there and they, they were kind of willing to just roll with their, their internal guys rather than roll the dice to see if, uh, if an interesting guy would get to them later in that draft. But, uh, but yeah, they did lose three prospects and I don't think they'll really lose sleep over, over any of them, but I mean, all, all three have some interesting parts to their profiles. And, you know, I think, uh, I think you can wish, wish success in their new organizations. Kenny Rosenberg. Let, let's talk about him a little bit more. He pitched in triple a for most of the year this season. I think out of all these guys, he was the closest to being big league ready, but he's also 25 years old. This wasn't some top prospect, uh, could he pitch in the big leagues this year for the Angels? Do you think they expect that from him in the near future? I don't know if they necessarily expect it, but I do think it's possible. I mean, he he was you know pitching in relief for the Durham Bulls, and um, you know he had pretty good strikeout walk numbers and, and, a, and a low ERA. So I mean, it's possible that he could get some innings in the back of their bullpen. And I do think the Angels are are an organization that that promotes players pretty fast, pitchers in particular. Um, as they've been kind of thin in that department recently. So I could see it. It will be interesting to see one of those players that you said the Rays picked up in a previous minor league Rule 5 draft, Ryan Thompson. Uh, I mean, he's just been kind of a a revelation. He came up, he made the opening day roster in 2020. You had that great story of his dad having to meet him out in the parking lot. He ends up pitching in a World Series game, still on the team. He had a really good year, I thought, this year. Uh, and he got hurt, so missed some time. But Ryan Thompson, like like you said, like there can be players out of this draft that go on and have a big, big league impact for their organizations. Absolutely. Watching watching the development of Ryan Thompson over just the last short, you know, last two years, even, you know, he he makes the team as a feel good story. And then like before long, he is pitching high leverage, like being called upon to get big time right handed batters out, you know, pitching in the World Series like, you know, that's just kind of kind of what the Rays do they they get their guys and then all of a sudden here you are you know contributing big time big time outs for the for the big club so you talk about getting their guys and you just recently put out an article on draysbay.com uh, with five reliever trade targets for 2022 I love when the Rays trade for a reliever because I, most of the time I've never heard of the guy or if I have I know nothing about him but I know that I can dig into what is probably an extremely exciting profile and then watch these guys usually, like you said, come in, throw high leverage, throw in high leverage situations, get big timeouts. So let's talk a little bit about that piece. There are five relievers, a couple I really want to focus on. Uh, the first is Josh Spores of the Texas Rangers. What can you tell me about his arsenal and what he brings to the Rangers right now as a pitcher and why that would be exciting if the Rays pursued him via trade? Yeah, definitely. So I guess first off with, with the piece, when I was kind of putting it together, um, I wanted to really I wanted to kind of try to dig deep on some guys who, who just don't have household names, really, because, you know, there's you'll hear about guys like, I don't know, a Craig Kimbrell or Josh Hader and, and those people, their names are in the trade rumors mill all the time. But the Rays don't really, really shop in that market all too often. You know, they're they're kind of looking looking underneath uh, under the hood at some guys who who haven't popped yet. Um, and Josh Fors, I think, is a is a really good example of a guy who who. I mean, in my opinion, I could see him as as a team's closer as soon as this year. I mean, he has like all of the traits on all three of his pitches that that the Rays and other analytically inclined teams are constantly looking for. His fastball, he throws it from like a really over the top vertical slot and it gets like gray carry at like 98 tons of whiffs, locates it up in the zone well and it plays up there. And he, he doesn't just have like one slider or curveball to go uh 
with the fastball. He's got both. Um, and the sliders that are really interesting, like, like low spin efficiency, like Euro shape that it, it, that there's been some research out there that suggested that, that like leads to deception and some soft contact. Um, he also throws that hard. There's also a, a good curveball that he gets a good, really good drop on for its velocity. So like, like pitching shape wise and like strikeout stuff wise, like he checks so many boxes. Um, and the final step for him is kind of just honing in on that command and just like throwing more strikes and just living in the zone more often. And the Rays have helped numerous pitchers uh, with that before. That I would I would go as far as to say that is one of like the fundamental philosophies of the Rays pitching, you know, the, the pitching Mecca as Brooks Raley just called it. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, you know, they, they target big stuff, but like maybe not the best command and they just tell them like pour it right over the plate and let's see what happens. Like let your stuff play. Don't worry about hitting like corners and, you know, and just, and just like letting it eat. So I, I think that would be, that would be right up their alley of as Josh Boards as a target. That, that fastball you talked about the, the fastball, like, when I first really started to learn more about like pitch profiles and and, and taking a, like a step further in in learning about mm-hmm. pitching, the one fastball I would always look at would be Colin Pochet's, and we're going to talk about him in just a little bit. Um, but Colin Pochet, you know, it's not like high nineties stuff, but he would throw it up in the zone, and hitters couldn't touch it. It looks like there's a lot of similarity with Spores fastball, but he, like you said, he is hitting ninety seven, ninety eight miles an hour with it. It sounds like an extremely deadly pitch. Exactly. Yeah. And what you talk about with Poche, I think it got a lot of Rays fans like just confused when Poche first came up. You know, he was just he was like 98 percent fastball. So, like right. he would just bear, like he would throw like maybe a wrinkle curve like once in a and while. He usually get crushed. He, the curveball. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And he but, you know, then he would just the next batter would come up and he'd just dump in nine straight fastballs at 92 and they're just, you know, waving and, and missing. So. Yeah. And, and then when you start looking at some, some underlying metrics, you start to realize he like, he literally led the league in like, like vertical movement on the fastball. Like he has like insane carry and, they, and they've targeted other guys like that in the, and, you know, very recently as well. JP Fireisen is an example of a really like good vertical fastball and also Pete Fairbanks. And they, you know, they traded, you know, pretty, pretty well, like highly thought of assets to get those guys. Um, and that's kind of where I'm thinking maybe they'll, they'll pull off a move like that again, this off season. Yeah. If the Rangers are willing to dance, you know, they, like you said, the Fairbanks move, they've done it before. Right. The organization, the next guy on your list, uh, Nick Sandlin from the Cleveland guardians. I think they're going to be a little less likely to deal a guy like this. You talk about Cleveland and I think alongside the Rays and the Dodgers, and maybe the Astros, some of these organizations that really value these types of pitchers that really are really good at recognizing uh, a solid relievers and solid starters as well. But Nick Sandlin, 24 years old. Uh, this was his first year in the big leagues and his numbers were just through the roof. A 296 FIP, uh, which is only two points higher than his 294 ERA. So it looked like all these numbers are for real. 34% strikeout rate. This guy, he's got a very unique arm angle. I wouldn't even call him like it's like kind of a sidearm angle, but like he shifts his body in a really unique way. Yeah. Why do you like Nick Sandlin so much? Yeah, so so you know, I think you're right when you kind of mentioned that the Guardians are probably less likely to deal a guy like this. And it's funny because they it's kind of because they think so similarly to a team like the Rays. You know, when a player is is as young as he is and in their first years before arbitration, you know, and, you know, can, can kind of mix and match and has a funky arm angle. Like there's a lot of like things to like, and there, there isn't really a whole lot of reason for them to move him. 
Um, but um, as far as like why he's interesting, um, I think he's he's almost kind of like a like a glorified Ryan Thompson in that he, he throws from that low slot. He gets like really good run on his sinker, like in on righties. And then his slider gets like really good sweep away from righties. So like he's, I mean, he's just death on right-handed hitters. And, <laughs> and like, and I think he, he handles his own fine with lefties because not only is he just like a deception, uh, low slot funk guy, he also gets really good velocity from that, from that like low slot. Like he, I mean, I, th- I think I was like looking at some highlights on him touching like 96, yeah. like from down there. And I like I just pulled some data and, and kind of saw that nobody from who throws at that release height or lower can throw as hard as Sandlin. So he, he, he really has some like some unique traits going on with his pitch mix. Is, is there a worry like about injury with a guy like that throwing from that angle at that velocity? I mean, yeah, like that was kind of my first thought, too. Like, you know, is this guy going to? You know, can you rely on him for 60 innings a year in your bullpen? But, you know, there's there's been guys who people have speculated upon in the past, like, oh, that's not going to hold up. And like like Chris Sale, I think, was a good example. I mean, that guy was a horse for like, I don't know, eight, nine years. And he has you know, nobody had seen a pitcher like his lanky and throws as hard as him. He did finally break just just recently. Um, <laughs> but, you know. I, and then and then some other guys with like really clean mechanics and, you know, big physical builds, they're, they're hurt all the time. So I, I think that um, as far as projecting like future injuries and injury risks and building like models or, or anything like along those lines, I, I think there's still like a, a decent ways to go for the industry to, to really get comfortable on projecting that stuff. And, and always pitchers are going to get hurt no matter who they exactly. are. Exactly. Like, that's yeah, just, that's, that's, just that's, that's one rule of thumb we can go by. Pitchers will get hurt more than hitters. <laughs> like, I think we can all agree on that. Uh, the other three guys you wrote in the piece, and, and if, if listeners, if you haven't checked this out already, you have to. It's got a lot of great stuff in here. Tanner Rainey from Washington, Johan Ramirez from Seattle, and Justin Lawrence from Colorado. Any other out of those three guys that you want to focus on and kind of talk about a little bit more? Um, I – I think out of those three, I kind of like Rainey the best, and maybe that would be a surprise um, if you just kind of pull up their their baseball reference pages or whatever, because the first thing we'll jump out with you with Rainey is he actually had like a seven-something ERA last year, um, and, you know, that this just, this just doesn't seem like something that any team would want to acquire, but his previous, he's had like, I think this past year was his third big league year or second two and a half, something like that. He's had really good success in prior years and he's similar to spores in that it's like a great vertical, hard four seam up in the zone and like a hard biting slider down in the zone. And uh, his slider like led the league in whiff rate in both 2019 and 2020, like the number one with uh, slider in the league. And his fastball is, is really good too. So like as a reliever, you can, you can live on just two pitches like that. And I think that, and it's kind of similar to spores again, where if he can just get more into the zone, more strikes with the fastball, getting ahead of hitters, that kind of thing, which the Rays have helped many pitchers before in the past. I think he can be a, he can be a closer level pitcher. He can be a, definitely a high leverage guy. You talk about that slider with Rainey. Like that's another case where it's like he gets into the Rays organization and Kyle Snyder's like, look, your slider's great. Let's just yeah. run with that. Exactly. Yeah. And then you can almost use the fastball as like an out pitch where, yeah. you know, and kind of pitch backwards and, and, you know, you, you kind of lull them to sleep with four or five sliders and then, you know, boom, there's 99 your eyes and you can't do anything with it. So I think he was actually closing games in Washington at, at various points already in his career. Um, so I guess he may be the like most well-known pitcher on this list. 
but he had some some weird like collapse with his control this past year so I kind of wonder I wonder if they would make him available because I mean they, they've got some polls they, they did a lot of trading at the deadline and I'd imagine they're trying to get they're trying to get some more youth on that team and I believe Rainey's 29 or so so you know it could be an opportunity for the race to like ship a prospect to him or something and, and any of the other guys that you wanted to mention? Yeah, and then both with Ramirez and drawing a blank, Justin Lawrence. <laughs> so Lawrence is kind of similar to uh, Sandlin, except he has some his control issues are kind of are kind of extreme. He he walked a ton of people in his big league debut this year, um, or just his, his big, first big league season this year. Um, but he he then went down to AAA and and kind of got more back on the same page. Really good ground ball rates and strikeout rates in the minors. Kind of has that same like side slot sinker slider. Um, he can throw it really hard though, upper 90s, um, and the same good movement on the slider. And then Ramirez, Ramirez is more of a four seam over sinker, um, but still like a lot of interesting things going on with his four seam shape. Throws it hard and a really really big like sweeping slider that he can throw like up into the mid 80s. Um, I, I really like that pitch from Ramirez and, and he, uh, uh, other than Sandlin, I think he's probably had, uh, he probably had the next best 2021 season Ramirez. He was a, he was a pretty, I think he was pitching a high leverage with Seattle by the end of the year. So I like seeing guys like Johan Ramirez that you write about that I've acquired in out of the park baseball when I do um, raise saves. <laughs> I know I blur the, the lines between fiction and reality when I bring up OTP, uh, but yeah, Ramirez. Oh, it's it's so fun. Yeah. Um, so, so you talk about, we, we've talked about all these guys the Rays can acquire, but they already have uh, what I would call a stellar bullpen. And once it gets fully healthy next year, as is, it looks, it looks pretty good. Part of the reason for that is because they went out and acquired left-handed pitcher Brooks Raley signed to a two-year, $10 million guaranteed contract with an option for a third season. Uh, we've talked about it in the last few episodes, but I, I'm kind of curious what are your thoughts on Brooks Raley, the pitcher, and why does he fit so well into this Rays team? Yeah, um, Brooks Raley is fascinating to me. I, I, you know, the more I look into him, the more I love the signing, and I don't think it's hard to see why they gave him two years, even as surprising as that may be, coming from Tampa Bay Rays. First off, his his arsenal against lefties is just like impossible for them to hit. His sinker slider combo both have exceptional movement, and he commands both pitches really well. You know, that's kind of kind of a little bit of a difference that of pitchers that the Rays often acquire is that their command is often shaky or not the best. And that's kind of the opportunity that the Rays look to improve upon a lot of pitchers. Well, Rayleigh already has it. I mean, he's, he's a veteran. He's, I believe, 33 years old. You know, he's, he's even pitched as a starter. You know, he was able to, to get through games. So I, I think that, that this isn't really like where the Rays are looking to like make some big change with him. Whereas they're just getting a really good reliever and and somebody who I think they can really trust against lefties. Where if we can remember, like as soon as this past postseason, the Red Sox would roll out those lefties, Schwarber, Devers, and Verdugo, guys like that, and and the Rays struggled with them all series. Uh, so you know, it, you know, a lot of that had to do with with some of the injuries in the bullpen. But but still, I mean, I think he slots in right into the high leverage mix with uh, Kittredge and Fairbanks, and I think that they may make maybe make some adjustments um, of Rayleigh's pitch mix to righties. He didn't fare as well against righties. He tried to run his cutter inside a lot, which I think he will still do. But his slider, to me, looks like far and away his best pitch. Um, just the numbers of results he's got on it have been excellent. And he really did not – I think he only threw it about 12% of the time to righties. I think that they will up that 
um, even though it's a slider and, and if you hang it, a, a righty can take advantage. Um, and the reason I think so is because McHugh has a very similar big sweepy slider and they were not afraid to throw that to the to batters on the opposite side, which would have been lefties for him. So I think they'll up that usage and, and maybe there's even a little bit of another level for Rayleigh. You'd like to think that. And he, like he said, he came here because he said it's the Mecca of pitching. Exactly. And we, we've seen that a lot on the pitching side of things. Guys coming here. Going back to Charlie Morton, now Corey Kluber again this year. Um, there are other lefties we talked about. We talked about the lack of lefties, a lot of that due to injury. Uh, you know, Josh Fleming was in a weird role last year. Then you had Jeffrey Springs with a really weird freak knee injury, uh, making a defensive play. But there were already guys that were on the mend last year to begin with, uh, specifically Jalen Beeks and Colin Poche. Would I call Colin Poche a lefty? I don't know. It's, it feels a little weird because he's not the traditional lefty. He's, I think, got reverse splits uh, for most of his career. Um, but bringing those two guys back in, we'll, we'll start with Jalen Beeks, just adding another lefty into the bullpen when it's been such a righty-dependent pen for most of the last season. How big will that be for the Rays? I think they really are going to have a good quantity of guys to to mix and match and, and to try out. And I think you'll see see all kinds of roster shuffling and, and, you know, their usual optioning players back and forth and, and just think because they, they really have a ton of, mm-hmm. of intriguing options. Like there are no, there are no pitchers on the roster right now who you, you would be willing to just like DFA or, or lose for nothing. I mean, like everybody, everybody can contribute. Everybody has, um, has some level of MLB success. So, so Beeks in particular, he, you know, it was unfortunate when he went down with injury because um, I believe that was the beginning of the 2019 season, right? When he got hurt, or was it 2020? Uh, it might have been. I don't. It, it might have been like it right was, at the beginning of 2020. Yeah, I think maybe the beginning of 2020. But it, whichever season it was in the in the beginning, he he looked really strong. Like he looked like a different pitcher. And the Rays had changed up some of the things going on with his pitch mix. Um, I think they got his fastball more vertical, and he he tweaked up his changeup. And it's like a really it's a really good offering that. You know, it's like hard upper 80s and he doesn't really throw that hard with the fastball. So um, it's it's an interesting mix. And he he was actually performing better against right handed hitters because of that changeup was so good. Um, the breaking ball is kind of, I guess, where he would maybe need some work. Uh, so, I, you know, he along with Poche is not your traditional lefty either. Um, which which has helped Beeks in the past go multiple innings. I think we've seen I think he was a starter for most of his minor league career. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think the raised. I don't know if they gave him like traditional starts, but um, he, I think he did some opening, some bulk rolls, stuff like that. So I think that they, you, you know, it, it could definitely be a thing where they, they maybe start him in AAA, stretch him out, something like that, you know, join, you know, give him into the big league team with a bulk roll, something like that. They'll, they'll be creative with it for sure. Yeah. I think at times in the beginning of like his, his, his time with the Rays, he was kind of a frustrating pitcher. And then in 2020, he seemed like he had really put it all together. And then yeah. right then, of course, he gets he gets hurt. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. He was starting like starting to strike everybody out. And I think they kind of like really got him to just hone in on that fastball changeup. And he kind of simplified it rather than like trying to go deep into games and throw all these pitches or anything. You know, they, they just really got down to what is his strengths. And it, it looked like it was really starting to work. So the injury was unfortunate. I guess we'll just have to wait and see how good he looks this year. Yeah, it was only 19 innings. I've got the his uh, fan graphs okay. page pulled up now. Um, uh, only 19 innings in 2020, but his uh, strikeout percentage went to from like 19.2% in 2019 to 32.1% in 2020. Yeah, yeah. His walk rate dropped from 8.6% to 4.9%. So again, over 19 innings, I mean, was just an incredible pitcher. 
And if he can bring that back in some capacity, doesn't have need to do anywhere near close to those numbers. That'll be a right. really valuable piece. Uh, what about Colin Poche? Again, I know not a tr- like a traditional lefty, at least not the one you'd like consider out of the bullpen, but still a huge pitcher for the Rays if he comes back healthy. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I mean, Poche and Beeks are in a pretty similar spot where, you know, coming off the injury, it's hard to, to really know what to expect from either of them, but, but both have had just big strikeout numbers, really interesting stuff going on with their pitch mix before. Um, so, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays. Poche, you know, like we talked about earlier, that, that big vertical fastball, and he's just going to throw it, throw it right at you, throw it a ton, kind of like, um, kind of like the old school Jake McGee that, uh, yeah. that the Rays used to run out there, just, just dump it right over the middle of the plate and see who can hit it. You know, um, I do think Poche, uh, when he was last healthy, was starting to to throw his, his slider or curveball, whichever he calls it, um, a little bit more often. I think they were trying to work with him on, on the feel of a breaking ball. So we'll see if he's um, we'll see if he's experimenting, experimenting with that at all when he comes back or, you know, but I could easily just see them like for health purposes and consistency purposes, just like, let's just try to throw your fastball right down the middle and, you know, and see what happens because it's, it's a special, special pitch. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, talk about how the Rays can add to this team offensively. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back on Raise Your Voice talking with Cole Mitchum. Cole, another piece that's not quite yet out on DRaysBay.com, but maybe by the time people are listening to this, uh, it will be published. We've just gone through all the ways the Rays can add to their bullpen, but they are still pressure to add to their offensive side of things, even though they were one of the best offensive teams in the American League last season. They are losing potentially Nelson Cruz. They could still sign him in free agency. Uh, But now that the National League is probably going to end up with a DH in 2022, the market for him just got a lot bigger because he can be a DH for maybe all 30 teams. Cruz, I will say, didn't, I think, live up to expectations in the couple months that he was with the Rays, on, with his on-the-field performance. We've heard a lot about what he provided off the field, but do you think it would be a smart investment to try to re-up with him and bring him back for 2022? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think I think the answer kind of lies a lot on what the market looks like for him. And you made a good point there with the possible addition of the DH in the National League. I mean, not, you know, not only does like it it truly is like 15 new jobs opening you know because these teams the nl teams have been built for years now to not have a dh like they can't roster a player like that so so now they're all going to be looking for a player like that so i you know i would think that those nl teams would be extra aggressive on pursuing a you know just a like a full-time masher like Cruz. so i mean i don't know i believe he's already 41 at this point so yeah. i I'm not sure if he'll get a two-year deal in the, the past few off seasons. He's been kind of just re-upping on one-year deals, I believe. Um, but if, if you're looking at two years, then I, I don't really expect the Rays to be, to be involved there. But I mean, if it is one year and 
I mean, from all accounts that I've seen, he enjoyed his time here and that the team really welcomed him here and that, that he, he provided a, a really nice veteran presence in the clubhouse and, and helped out a young team. Um, I do think I do think they would at least, you know, talk to his agent, be interested in somewhat. But um, I don't know. I, I, I at this point, I just can't can't really see it. If, if you want me to be honest, I, I think the team will be interested. You know, we've heard them talk about all the all that he brought to the clubhouse. But like you said, once this new CBA is agreed to, we've got 15 other teams calling. It seems right. like one of those ones where the Rays are going to get outbid, not necessarily because they're not exactly. willing to spend, but that they're focusing their dollars in other places. And Cruz just right. might not be that for 2022. Yeah, I think they'll gladly accept him. I think that also it's reasonable to expect him to be able to perform better than he did with the Rays next year. Yeah. There were some reports out there that said uh, he was dealing with some some nagging injuries and things like that. I think that there's a little potential for him to be better, you know. So if if he's out there for one year and six million bucks, like I'm sure the Rays, you know, they'll they'll negotiate that all day long. But I'm just not thinking that that's going to be the case. I, I could even maybe see him getting like, you know, two years, twenty million if a team yeah. is that desperate, you know. So so we'll we'll see how it plays out. But um, it was weird. We didn't really hear any smoke about any Nelson Cruz interest um before the lockout, which makes sense because. The CBA wasn't agreed to. It's smarter for him to wait it out to, you know, know what the rules would be. But, but yeah, no, no, no rumors of teams interested that I saw or anything like that. So it's hard to know what his market is right now. Now, in this this piece that that will be coming out, uh, I'm reading kind of through it now. There's a couple of players that Danny and I talked about in a previous episode uh, that I I get really excited just reading their name uh, attached to the Rays in any way, even though, even though these aren't you know concrete rumors. Uh, but the first one, like we can kind of tease what's going to happen in this article. Andrew McCutcheon, he's been like a favorite player of mine for a long time and a guy that I think could really benefit from the way the Rays use their platoons and a guy that's probably at the point where he's not a full-time player, at least not a full-time player for a team like the Rays, if there are such things for the Rays that aren't right. like Wander Franco or Brandon Lau. Talk to me about Andrew McCutcheon and why he can be an interesting name attached to the Rays. Yeah. So, so McCutcheon kind of falls into that bucket of like, you know, he's, he's available on the open market. And I, I have a little bit of a suspicion that the Rays are not done adding to their offense. And I don't know exactly how they're going to go out and get a bat, but I just think that there isn't a whole lot of right-handed hitting depth on the 40 man at the moment. And even most of the prospects that haven't really played much in the big leagues, almost all of them hit uh, right-handers better than left-handers. So, you know, I, I think that, the roster isn't exactly optimized kind of how the Rays would probably like it is my guess. So yeah, this piece is basically just kind of outlining some right-handed bat targets and McCutcheon is interesting because well, one, you don't have to give up prospects to get him. It'll just be money since he's a free agent. And two, you know, everything about he's, he's extremely well-liked any, any team he plays on. He's, he's a great, you know, clubhouse guy, you know, I mean, as far as we know, you know, reports wise, but, um, but yeah, he, he still crushes left-handed pitching um, this late into his career. I believe he's 35 now always been a guy that, you know, is extremely disciplined, runs extremely high walk rates, hits for power. And um, I, I believe he still keeps his strikeouts in check. Like he, he really is a pretty well-rounded hitter. Um, but re- in recent years, he has started to taper off against right-handed pitching. Um, so I do think that, you know, and I, I believe his defense is, is kind of going as well with his age. So he could just kind of be like a, like a left-handed, um, you know, or right-handed hitting DH option for the Rays, as as are a lot of the the players kind of listed on the article. 
Well, another one, and the other name that gets me really excited is Tommy Pham, who was just incredible when he was with the Rays. He's obviously then traded to San Diego in a deal that brought back Hunter Renfro and Xavier Edwards. Uh, that also sent the Padres Drake Cronenworth. Uh, Pham didn't necessarily work out for the Padres, um, but I think having him back, again, another guy that can probably still play like full-time. I don't know what position you want to lock him in at. Uh, would be, I think, a huge signing for the Rays. Yeah. Yeah, Fam Fam kind of had like two down years right after the Rays traded him, um, which was so weird because you know, he like you said, he was he was awesome. He was I mean, there could be an argument he was the best player on the team when yeah. he was here. So um so yeah, it was kind of weird to see it, but he is kind of getting up there in age. And um, I don't really know really what his market would look like. I think that there's potential that, that he might sign a one-year deal, um, which I believe the Rays would probably have interest in. He, he fits the lineup pretty well, always runs great on base percentages and, you know, can tap into, you know, can hit you a home run here and there and has always hit both righties and lefties pretty well, which I think is another thing that they may look to do to kind of get a, a neutral splits guy into the mix. Um, just because the team is full of so many high splits guys, it could be good to just kind of, kind of throw, you know, throw a neutral guy into the DH spot every day, you know, something like that. I kind of did it with Nelson Cruz at the end of last year, but yeah. So fam, I, I think fam fits a lot of the things they're trying to do. And I, I mean, I think that he would probably probably you know consider coming back and i think the rays would, would love to have him back so i'd be excited about that as well and the last free agent target i want to mention uh japanese slugger seya suzuki he's 27 we've seen the rays you know tap into the japanese free agent market before they did it with yoshi tutsugo i think because of that there's going to be some people that think this is, would not be a good idea uh, but tell me why seya suzuki should be someone the race should definitely pursue yeah, so Suzuki, I, I would say when when the piece comes out, you'll you'll see Suzuki is probably just all around the best player on that that free agents list there. Like, there the other reason why I kind of mentioned him is because there have been a couple reports already this offseason out of Japan that the Rays have been interested in him, and I believe he has the same agent as Susugo. So I, I think there's some familiar familiarity there. Um, but Suzuki, he's more than just just a right-handed DH or whatever. He, you know, he plays really good defense in the corner outfit. He's like super athletic, strong arm. Like he, he passes like a lot of, of tests as like a, a well-rounded baseball player. He's, you know, he's always drawn a bunch of walks. He keeps his strikeouts down, hits for a bunch of power. Like there's just a, a ton of intriguing ingredients there. And, and one of the, the interesting things is I believe the last report I saw on Suzuki just on Twitter was that the three, um, the three teams with the most interest, like most aggressively pursuing him are the Yankees, Red Sox, and Blue Jays, the, the main three rivals of the Rays right now, I guess. So the other AL East teams, but I, I did see some, some stuff that the Rays are linked to him a little bit. So we'll just have to kind of wait and see if he falls out of their price range or if they're, if they're willing to, to go that far. Yeah. I think that one's unlikely, but it's one to really like, it's yeah. fun to think about. It's worth to throw it in there. Yeah. Right. I think um, some other things I read, he may be looking at, um, potentially even like a five-year deal because he's only 27 wow, and um but it's definitely multiple years um so and i think like around eight to ten million per year something like that so it could get a little pricey for the raise but you know we're thinking about you mentioned some post-hype prospects in this piece including joe adele alec bohm keston hira i think those are some interesting names one that i think that a team might be really willing to sell low on if you look over washington carter keyboom He's had two really rough first years in the big leagues. 
it's been weird. He had the COVID season. He didn't really bounce back in 2021. But still, as a player, and he's not really a prospect anymore, do you think this is another guy the Rays could be interested in to fill up that third base spot? Yeah, so, I mean, as far as interest goes, you know, I'm not exactly sure. But I think that this could be a little bit of an intriguing opportunity for the Rays to to dive in on a guy like that, like all of those names you just mentioned. Because for the other team, they're all of the, the teams, I mean, I guess maybe not the Nationals, um, but like the Phillies with Bohm and the Angels with, with Adele, they have to kind of make a decision, right? Like we need to, we're trying to win right now. And like, are we going to give the, are we going to give these guys 400 at bats next year? Or we, you know, maybe we can deal them out for a starter and a reliever to kind of address other needs, you know, something along those lines. So keep them could be something similar. It just kind of depends on how much their current team really believes in them and, you know, how, how, you know, how many more bats do they want to give them or do they kind of want to cash in on his value now? Because if you roll him out for another season and he's just kind of eh again and not really providing much, well, now you're kind of stuck with him because you can't really get anything much for in trade or something like that. So, yeah, I think that's a that's a really interesting name. Huge minor league stats for Keyboom. Um, I think he's he even played a lot of shortstop in, in the minors. Yeah. And I know he's been more of a third baseman in the big leagues, but. Um, just a, like an athletic guy, like a, a good defender of multiple spots and and can hit a little bit. So, yeah, I guess it's just a, a matter of if the Rays think it's worth taking a flyer on a guy like that and, you know, identifying some things they think they can fix. It, it'd be like kind of a bet on on their coaching staff and, and a project, but it, it's an interesting thing to think about for sure. Now, I think the last two years, the biggest thing with the Rays has been depth. They've dealt with injuries. They've been able to have the next man up kind of just slotted and still produce. There's been some roster shuffling. We've, you know, you've seen Mike Brasso, Jordan Luplo, now Joey Wendell, all been shipped off. Um, new players added to the 40-man roster. And I think if there are injuries this year, that, that depth is really going to be tested. And I don't know if they're as deep as they were these last two seasons. With that being said, there are a few interesting prospects that, as of right now, if the season started tomorrow, I don't think they would be big league ready. Uh, but maybe by the end of 2022, and I'm focusing on right-handed bats here, any guys that you could see breaking through the three prospects I had in mind, and I'm kind of curious your thoughts on them: Curtis Mead, Ruben Cardenas, and Nico Holsizer. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good um, a good group of players. Some big time minor league um, success and some power numbers, specifically with all three of them. Um, I guess I'll start with Mead. I would say that it's not even really too much of a competition in that group of players that he is the best overall prospect, um, just because. Cardenas and Holsizer have a lot of swing and miss in their game, although they they probably have more power than Meade, I would say, both of them. But um, but Meade, um, he just played in the Arizona Fall League and, and absolutely tore it up. And there was some stat cast um, data going on in those in those some of those parks. And so we got a little bit more insight into some some pitchers and hitters over there. And I believe Meade like scorched the ball 112 miles an hour or something like that. And he, you know, just even a one-time batted ball event like that can tell you a lot about a uh, about a player's power or, and what to think about their their kind of future power projection. Um, but why that's like especially exciting for a guy like Mead is because he's run like super low uh, like strikeout rates in the minors. He is like a really good contact hitter. Uh, so if he has those two, I mean, the two abilities to make a lot of contact and hit for a lot of power, I mean. That's, I mean, that's a recipe for success as a hitter. Those are the, you know, the two main things. I guess the one, the one final thing that Mead, I guess two, two main questions with Mead. One is kind of, uh, he's always drawn some lower walk rates. I think he's an aggressive hitter, has a tendency to reach out of the zone a little bit. Um, but maybe that's something the Rays think that they can kind of work with him on. And then two is his, is his defense. Um, 
I think there has been some rumors that he may have to eventually slide over to first base. Um, I do think the back could still play at first base. It's, it's really exciting. But um, if he is able to stay at third and play, um, you know, at least, a, at least a competent third base, even if it looks something like uh, maybe like a Yandy Diaz defense over a third, um, it's something that at least the Rays have been willing to do with Diaz recently and uh, with Susugo um, before him. They, they gave him a few starts at third. So uh, we'll, we'll see, you know, how that plays. I think that Meade, um, he did get a, a short stint in AAA, but I yeah. think it was out of, out of just kind of need. Like, I think some injuries mm-hmm. happened. I don't think it was like a true promotion. Um, so I think that it's probably likely he starts in AA um, in, in 2022 and then probably works his way up to AAA because I expect he'll tear up that level. Um, so, you know, if he's if he's taking good at best in AAA, then, then there's definitely a chance he could um, – he can make the big, big league club by the end of the year. Um, and then the other two guys, Cardenas and Holsizer, they're, they're pretty similar players, big corner outfield bats, huge frames and big time power. Um, I, I think, I don't know if I necessarily like one over the other. I think they're both pretty, pretty comparable. And um, I, I don't know if, if either are truly in like the long-term plans of the Rays, but they're definitely good guys to have around in your system. And, you know, maybe, maybe one or both of them can make it up to AAA. And if, if you're in AAA, you know, all it takes is an injury or, or, or you know, something to happen. And, and here you are batting, batting six for the Rays, you know? So, um, you know, it, it's something that we can maybe see. Yeah. With, with Mead, you mentioned like, he's not, he doesn't strike out a ton. He doesn't draw a ton of walks, but if he's putting those balls in play, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll see some good numbers. And I think that's what he's done in the minor leagues up until this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, even with the lockout, there's still a lot of exciting stuff we can talk about and we can throw out all these ideas and none of us will be wrong until the lockout's lifted and then all these players right. go elsewhere, <laughs> which, which I really love to do. Um, but Cole, you know, this is raise your voice and I'm, I'm kind of curious your thoughts. You're, you're new to the site. You joined this off season. So we, we necessarily didn't get to engage with you as much directly uh, throughout the 2020 and 2021 seasons. Um, both great teams, and I'm not here to have you try and uh, knock on the 2021 team that won 100 games and won the second straight AL their second straight AL East title. Uh, but they did get bounced in the first round, and I'm curious. And I want you to you know talk a little bit, maybe raise your voice. What was this 2021 team missing? Why could they not get it done? Um, that's that's a good question, and it's it's something that probably every single Rays fan has thought of multiple times to this point. And I, and I guess the, um, I mean, the glaring need for me was, uh, was kind of just that big frontline starter. You know, if you look at, you look at the length of the starts in the, uh, in the postseason this year, McClanahan put together a really good start in game one, five scoreless innings. But then after that, the next three games were essentially bullpen games. No, I don't even think one other pitcher had a three inning outing mm-hmm. the rest yeah. of the playoffs. So, um, they, they just came up a little bit, a little bit short. And I don't really know if it was the lack of experience even because they have, they have some talented arms, but I think that, uh, that, that good Boston lineup just kind of got to him a little bit. And, um, and yeah, you know, it's, it's tough to look back and say, but I think the truth is that it, a guy like Charlie Morton around really, really could help the team this year, you know? So it's unfortunate to see something like that happen, but I mean, they were right in it to right to the end. Those games three and four were, were awesome, thrilling games that could have went either way. So, you know, all it could have took was a ball, you know, not hopping off Hunter Renfro's leg and, you know, maybe they, they make it to the next round. So it's, it's just really, it was really small game and it kind of shows you how sometimes the postseason can be even a little bit of a crapshoot. 
yeah, I mean, I even talk about just turning the rotation one more time over to give Shane Boz a second start. Like, I think you could see right away from that first at-bat in game two, the nerves were there. And that was part of the gamble with running out a rookie starting rotation, uh, which is what the Rays decided to do. We saw him lights out in the regular season when he made his debut. But that four-pitch walk for Shane Boss to start the game, that maybe that was what he was known for when he was like 18, 19 years old, starting to break into the minor leagues. Right. But for the last like full season with the Rays, that's not what he did at any level, including the major leagues. Giving the ball to him one more time in the second start in a game five, potentially, like like you said, one of those balls bounces a different way. All of a sudden, Shane Boss goes out. Maybe he puts together a you know five shutout innings in a game five. And the Rays do move on to the next round, and, and we, we don't know what will happen. You have Shane McClanahan, another start at some point. Right. Things could have been very, very different. You mentioned like the fact that they didn't have Charlie Morton. but the, I've even gone so far as to say that I was a fan of the return on the Blake Snell trade, and I think that's going to continue to pay dividends, especially if they're somehow able to keep Blake Hunt in the Rule 5 draft. They didn't protect right. him, and there's I think there's a chance he gets picked up by someone else. Uh, but I've gone so far as to say that the Blake Snell trade, if it had not happened, the 2021 Rays would have been better off. I know you lose Francisco Mejia, but Blake Snell, even with his early struggles in San Diego, was still a great pitcher. And I don't think we can say that he would have went through those struggles if he was with the Rays, if he was working with Kyle Snyder. It's fair to say, I think. Um, I guess the only, you know, if I play devil's advocate a little bit, I think Snell made like 11 or 12 million this year. Yeah, something like I think 10. 10, maybe 10 million. So if if they keep him, you know, maybe they don't make some of their other moves, I guess, you know, maybe they they don't go get Nelson Cruz and, and take on his salary or they don't sign a, a Waka or a Hill, you know. So, you know, more or less minor moves, but still it, it would have been a different season, but I think that um I think there's some validity to that. I think he he pitched in a lot of big games with the Rays before, and uh, yeah, I certainly certainly would have taken him on the staff. And during that series in Boston, um, you know, that was just those those length innings, quality innings, was definitely something that they needed. It's like we always talk about. You look at all these pitchers that love coming to the Rays and getting to work with their staff and pitch with this organization. But then all of a sudden, like Blake Snell goes out and struggles in San Diego, and everybody's like, "Oh, look at this great trade the Rays made! Look at Blake Snell isn't any good anymore." Right. I'm like, "Well, you can't say that pitchers are yeah. better with the Rays, and then when they leave the Rays, say they're not any good anymore." Like, I, there, there's definitely reason to believe that Blake Snell. And I've I've looked at the numbers every year that Blake Snell has had Kyle Snyder as his pitching coach, his numbers have been like incredible. Yeah. He had him for two different minor league uh, minor league stops. I think it was like High A, and then again in Triple A. And he was like, like he was amazing in those levels. Then he comes up to the big leagues while Jim Hickey's still the pitching coach, struggles in the big leagues. They bring Kyle Snyder up to the big league roster. Blake Snell wins a Cy Young. So like, there is a, a relationship there that probably does not exist in San Diego with whoever his pitching coach is. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, I think he would have been he would have been good, and I think he made some tweaks there, and he looked really really good at the end of the season. Like I mean, he about about as best as he as he ever has. So yeah, I, I think there's. You could definitely argue that way, but um, I will be clear and, and I'm with you in that I'm a, you know, I'm a fan of the trade. Like now, like looking, I, I think that they got really good value back. Um, the prospects are, are promising and I'm, I'm pretty high on Luis Patino. I think there's a lot left in that tank and, um, you know, and, and Mejia is, is more than a, than a good backup. You know, he, he could be a starting caliber catcher on some teams. So, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that they're always having to make these, these churning moves, you know, for one reason or another, but, for you know, since they did it, like you know, looking back in in hindsight, I think they did pretty well with the Snell yeah, trade. So I agree. 
Well, you, you you talk about missing the frontline starter. Is Kluber enough to be that that to add to that sense of a frontline guy, or is it going to be Boz or McClanahan or even a Patino that kind of evolves into that frontline horse? I don't know if this is a hot take, but I'm gonna I'm gonna plant my flag on one of these guys. By the end of the 2022 season, Shane Boz will be will be the ace of the race. I am I am so so high on that guy. Like his stuff is off the charts, and the way he was able to just like pound the zone with you know fastball slider curveball changeup like he he's got so many weapons and there's so many ways that he that he's going to be able to succeed that like I think this guy's absolute limit I'd go as far to say he's the best pitching prospect in baseball you know based on what what we know you know it's tough because we don't have all the data on minor leaguers so um, but from what we can tell from the public from the public view you know I'm I'm all in on Shane Boz but but Kluber, I think I think that was a, a pretty interesting signing, and I I was listening to the last podcast, and I think you guys uh, hit some good clarity on that. I don't think they'll expect him to go out and throw 180 innings, and you know he's not going to look like his former Cy Young self. But whether they do a six man rotation or they give some guys some phantom IL stints and options, you know they'll they'll mix and match, and I think that you know hopefully that they can get Kluber. Uh, um, to over 100 innings, 120, 130 something, and just really the, the big thing is getting him, him fresh, healthy, and as good as he can be, like down the stretch. And you know, hopefully, if the Rays can make the playoffs, you know that he can be a big part of that because you know he he has been a big time innings eater in the past, and I think that he can make a big difference in a, in a short series for them. Yeah, for sure. Well, Cole, uh, if, if you guys haven't checked out his work on DRaysBay.com, he's posted a couple articles already, and like we said. Another big one coming out about Ray's right-handed targets. And for some reason, if you're not following him on Twitter, at Ray's Metrics, you need to go ahead and do that. It'll make you a smarter fan. It'll make you uh, a, a more uh, informed fan as well. So, Cole, thank you for coming on today. Thanks so much. This was a blast. Hope to do it again soon. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, make sure to head on over to DRaysBay.com to check out all of our great off-season coverage, even though we're in the middle of a lockout. If you like what we do, giving a rating and a review on your podcast platform, if it allows it, is the best way to spread what we do to more and more Rays fans. And if you want every new episode from the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network, that's Raise Your Voice, whatever D-Rays Bay podcast specials we put out. And of course, Who's on Worse, hosted by uh, Ashley McClendon and Darby Robinson. If you want those episodes, download it directly to your device. Make sure to subscribe or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, thank you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>